So I want to say a little bit about the practice of right speech and um, in relationship to precepts number six and seven. And, and so to begin with, the, the practice of right speech is, of course, one of the eight uh, aspects of the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is the path uh, that the Buddha outlined as the most expedient way to work with our dukkha, or suffering, or dissatisfaction. And the Buddha defined right speech as abstinence from false speech, from malicious speech, abstinence from harsh speech, and from what he called idle chatter, useless speech. And in Zen, we also brought in speech to include our thoughts. We may guess that because there are three out of the ten cardinal precepts um, have to do with speech, that is quite important. Um, Not lying is the fourth precept. But again, number six and seven, we'll focus on those. Number six is not to speak of the faults of others, uh, but to be caring and sympathetic. And number seven is not to praise myself and disparage others, but to overcome my own shortcomings. And you'll notice that each one of these, as with the other precepts, is framed both in the negative, or or what to abstain from, and then also the positive, of what to go towards or to practice. And But before we get into the details, to be clear, Zen is not moralistic, but ethics is a part of a complete practice. Uh, Kepler Roshi once said that Zen is above morality, but morality is not below Zen. And morality in Zen is not seen as prescriptive. It's not dictated by some cosmic force or God, head, or deity, or something like that, but it is a description of the awakened mind. And to broaden out from that just a bit, it is also how awakened communities or groups of people function. So, of course, there are um, these precepts, they can be ideals to be worked towards. Um, but we will fail, right? How many of us can claim to be fully awakened? The point is that with speech, like like our zazen, it is something that we need to practice. So, in that spirit, many people report that these two precepts are difficult to work with. Speech in general is difficult. It's a difficult topic. You know, many of us, of course, were taught the very basics of how to conduct ourselves with our speech as kids, but there are areas that each one of us stumble with, stumble over. Um, you know, even even when we know, for example, what to what would be the best thing to say or not to say, we still have trouble putting those intentions into action. Many people struggle and tend towards one end of a spectrum or the other. We either tend to stay silent to not speak up when we need to, or we tend to talk too much when we, we should say less. And the Buddha way is about finding that very elusive middle territory, that sweet spot. 
So the sixth precept outlines one of these troublesome areas of speech, not speaking of the faults of others. And as good people, um, perhaps we're already working, making an effort to do that. But just as important as working towards doing that is is looking at what gives rise to, what gives the, us the impulse to speak of the faults of others, right? And that's that belief in the faults of others, or to be more precise, automatically sort of believing or taking on the faults of others. How many times, for example, do we hear something and without much deliberation at all, we believe what we hear. We hear things from friends or online, but rarely do we actually check it out firsthand. Especially if if what is being said sort of matches or confirms what we already believe or think about a person, for example, or a group of people. Often this is why we speak of the faults of others, right? To have our already uh, formed opinions reaffirmed. But what is the price of that? Oftentimes this, the way we engage in um, talking about the, uh, or breaking this sixth precept is through gossip. Um, researchers have talked about gossip as having an evolutionary basis, a, a reason, um, a purpose. In, in a way, it's, it can be positive in, in, in rare circumstances in that it helps, it can help build social bonds between people. And it can be a way of building power sort of behind the scenes in an indirect way. So while our, there might be that positive intention to connect with people, to share opinions with another person uh, when we're talking about somebody else, that might be positive in one way. We are doing so at the expense of others and ourselves. Most of the time, gossip, gossip is actually very toxic, not just to the people that are being talked about, but to our own psyche. Gossiping and talking about the faults of other people is often rooted in fear, you know, a fear of talking directly with the person about our concerns, for example. So it can be rooted in a fear of confrontation, a fear of conflict, um, and when we engage in talking about others behind their backs, it reinforces those fears and it reinforces separation. As Zen practitioners, we're called to recognize that our sense of separation is the cause of our suffering. So this precept asks us to consider the ways that we contribute to our own suffering and to the suffering of others by speaking about somebody's faults. As I mentioned earlier, there are there is speaking out loud, but there is also the, our thoughts speaking internally. How much of the how much of our time do we spend dwelling or thinking about the faults of others? Right? It it can be very tempting, very it can feel good in a way to ruminate about others. 
But in the long term, is that doing any good? As meditators, we might ask ourselves, how quickly and how strongly do we act or engage with our negative assumptions or negative opinions about others? Right? For example, you know, when we see maybe somebody wearing a red hat with the phrase, make America great again on it, how much do we assume about that person? And then how much do we follow up on those assumptions? Of course, we all have knee-jerk reactions. The, hopefully those lessen over time with practice. But our job is then to begin to notice those reactions and to examine those. And then perhaps even pull back from the thoughts that follow those initial knee-jerk reactions, those assumptions, those first impressions. Speaking or thinking about the faults of others is often linked with our relationship to our own faults. Sometimes we uh, dislike in others what we dislike in ourselves or what we do. What, we, what other people do that bother us is often what we do that we don't like. And from a Zen practice point of view, the more time we're spending considering the faults of others, the less time we're turning that flashlight of awareness onto our own minds. Another aspect of this, this precept, or, or maybe six and seven, uh, is, 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 it involves social media, right? It can become a gratuitous form of speech. Sometimes I've been shocked even by Buddhist teachers who use social media in a way that reinforces a kind of divisiveness, right? Reposting articles in what seems like a very reactive way. Um, but what are we teaching when we participate in that kind of speech? It's not that political speech isn't important. It is, of course it's important. But it seems that many times... Uh, when we use social media in a way uh, to it's it's um, just stirring up rage among like-minded people, especially in our politically charged environment that we are in now, it can feel like we need to voice our opinion about all kinds of topics. But I want you to consider whether or not, by doing so, is that really doing any good? Is it helping? Right? Or is it just egging each other on, getting enraged in our like-minded circle friends, like amping each other up? It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid and we would play football and somebody would get tackled and then somebody else would jump on top and then somebody else and then somebody else. But you know, um, it, it, before you know it, it, it was like there were half a dozen kids on top of this other poor kid and it was a fun thing to do, but you know, very hurtful in a way, gratuitous. A litmus test can be applied to our speech. It's something that Socrates said. He said, is it true? Is it good? And is it useful? So often gossip and speech on social media promotes group think. I find myself... Um, um, often that with such easy access to the opinions of others that it becomes harder really to think 
for myself to think through what I think without just taking on the opinions of other people automatically. That's not to say that it's not to deny our influence or how we're influenced by others. We all of our, we all are products of the influence of others. But how often do we really spend time discerning what is true, what is good, and what is useful? The seventh precept is worded not to praise myself and disparage others, but to overcome my own shortcomings. And this goes to the very heart of this honest examination of ourselves, to remind ourselves of the importance of turning again that flashlight of awareness onto ourselves. You know, if we're consumed with being right or seeing ourselves as superior, right, we close ourselves off to possibilities. We enter into that dangerous territory of knowing how many times have we been absolutely convinced that we are right, our rightness, only to find out later that we're mistaken. You know, in Zen, we are trying to learn to take ourselves lightly. That doesn't mean that our opinions don't matter or that that uh, we we are right at times, but how tightly or how do we how much do we hold on to that? So to take an, a position of honest openness and willingness to accept that we don't have all the answers is an important practice and to cultivate a willingness to let go of our opinions and to learn from others. Uh, Zen master Joshu, a Tong era master, said, if I can teach a person of a hundred years, I will do so. And if I can learn from a seven-year-old child, I will. Not hung up on his needing to know. Bodhidharma, the founder of Zen in China, was asked by the emperor, who are you? And Bodhidharma said, I don't know. It wasn't a I don't know of blankness, but here not knowing was his verbal expression of emptiness. Bodhidharma said in regards to the seventh precept, he said, not expounding upon error is the precept of not speaking of the faults of others. Not dwelling on I against you is the precept of not praising yourself while disparaging others. So here Bodhidharma directs us back to the essential point. When we are breaking these precepts, we are reinforcing the I, the me, the mine, which is a false sense of self. Right? In emptiness, there is pure potential. Kapil Rishi used to liken it to a silversmith who wanted to make a small Buddha figure. He said, the molten silver is without form and has potential of being shaped into any form. This is emptiness or potential. When the silver hardens into a form, it always can be melted again, returning into formless nature. Thus we say form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And so, you know, when our minds harden, when we become rigid, and when we see others um, in a kind of rigid way, 
it, it hardens us. It, it, if, if we hope to make you know, progress in our sitting practice, we have to consider how much we're reinforcing, um, again, that separation through our speech, through our thoughts, through our consumption of speech, our use of social media. Now, this is to, not to say that um, we don't recognize differences or, um, or that people do have faults or uh, things they need to work on. And oftentimes those need to be talked about in skillful ways. Zen is not blind to those differences, but it's more about how we're dwelling on or ruminating about them. We're using them to reinforce separation rather than to heal divisiveness. It's also um, important because uh, like, other, like ourselves, others are working on themselves, right? So we're all working on ourselves on some level. And so to practice forgiveness is an important part of this with ourselves and with others. In the old Japanese phrase, you know, that I often quote seven times down, eight times up, it is, okay, we made a mistake or others made a mistake. Let's get back up or let's let others get back up and try again. It's not easy to practice these two precepts. But a well-rounded Zen practice is more is, is about more than zazen. We practice in action and in speech as well. Okay, so as I mentioned in the email, some practical tips: when someone engages you in gossip, find a way to support them without without um, without without getting into it too much with them or egging them on. When we're feeling the need to talk about other people, we, we ask ourselves, did we do everything we could to talk to them directly without an emphasis on how what the other person is doing affects us? When you feel the urge to talk about the faults of others, you can ask yourselves why? What is, what is, what, what, what's the purpose? What am I getting out of it? And then can I get that need met in another more skillful way? And then returning to our practice, when you find yourselves ruminating, lost in thought about other people, and in general, you know, return to the present moment, to your breath, to the koan, if you're questioning a koan. Acknowledge how you feel about something without engaging in the thoughts that follow, right? Oftentimes the thoughts that we engage in are defenses against those deeper feelings that need to be accessed. And when you are critical of another person, ask yourself if that thing that bothers you about them is a trait within yourself that is sort of lingering, hiding in the background somewhere. Okay. So, how do you practice right speech? That is the... the discussion. How do you practice with these two precepts specifically around right speech? Thank you very much.